a random encounter at a broadcasting facility, a shared interest and love of all things Marvel, Excelsior, a misinterpreted program title, and behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick, podcaster and comic book enthusiast, and Eddie Wilson, upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, this is Jed McKay, writer of Moon Knight and Black Cat, and you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our special guest, we want to... They know that. But it's a return to this method of recording that I have not done in so long. Yeah, that is true. That is very true. I think the last one was uh, somebody that's going to be coming back to the show or from across the pond, but I digress. Oh, Shh. Yes. Okay. I thought you were going to say the person's name. I'm like, Shh, don't no, bury no, the lead. No, no. Anyway, before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our special guest, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, thar social medias. Just so you know. Go. Exactly. Go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at... The Marvelous. You can find us individually on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Peter Melnick. But remember, there's only one place in the whole worldwide, 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 worldwide interwebs, and that's Instagram. Eddie, what is it? Uh, uh, it is at, 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 how many times did you say worldwide? Many. Oh, many at Eddie9193. And that's Instagram. The that, That's the Eddie Wilson hotspot. It is, yeah, well, Facebook too, but, you know, yeah. that's, a good, that's okay to do that too. Yeah, but anyway, you can also find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, um, a random uh, crazy person with a Bluetooth uh, speaker just randomly outside of your house. Uh, yeah, no, we don't want that. Well, you know, there's there are laws against that, but you can hear it from that kind of platform if they're, you know, on a stool or something. That joke sucked. But anyway, yeah. you can find us on all of those streaming platforms. Have I ugh, have RSS feed. Will travel. Easy for me to say. You can also find us on iTunes. Rate, review, subscribe, share. Ever so inclined. Five stars. Broken ice cream machine. McDonald's. Eddie can't stand that joke. Neither can I anymore. Can you tell? Because I barely use it. Also, you can help support the show on a wide variety of ways. Well, just one way, but with many different currencies. So you can use the Canadian loonie to pay for it. You can use the UK's uh, Monopoly money. Whatever works. The but, UK's Monopoly? Yeah, they have different colors. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway. Different currency. But Go on Patreon.com slash The Marvelous. And support the show for as little as $3 a month to as much as Illion. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of Peter. That's Amore. Eel. Oh, actually, well, I'll tell that joke after I do this bit. But when you go on there, go to patreon.com slash marvelous For as little as $3 a month, you get early access to episodes and our undying love, gratitude, and affection. $5 a month gets you our fantastic voyage where you're able to go on a fantastic voyage with us and experience all 102 issues of Stan and Jack's iconic Fantastic Four in addition to crossovers, in addition to annuals, and in addition to whatever our little hearts desire. Although it's more of like a medium-sized heart because that's the human body. But, exactly. $8 $8 a month gets the ability to co-host this here fine program, and if you don't suck, we'll let you on the air, too. 
our t-shirts available at belowthecollar.com. The Marvelous. And God willing, if you've made it this far, you are Dad Joe Commune, and you can buy our Dad Joe Commune t-shirt. Congratulations. Help support the show. Anyway, joining us on the other end of the tin can and Skype, we are paired alongside with a gentleman who is doing some work at Marvel. He is responsible for a certain feline of a dark color, a black cat, if you will, as well as someone that I'm certainly loony for, the upcoming run of Moon Knight. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us on today's program, Jed McKay. Jed, thank you for putting up with that intro. Oh, you, you guys are done? Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, hey, how's it going? Thank you, Jed. I, you, I couldn't have put it better myself. So first off, it's the cliche kind of question, but how did you get your introduction into the world of Marvel? Uh, introduction as a, a reader or a creator? What are you looking for here? Well, let's go with just in general as a fan back in the day. Yeah, uh, I started reading Marvel comics when I was you know, probably in elementary school, uh, I don't know, second grade or something like that. Um, you know, in the in the early 90s, I uh, came up reading my dad's old comics. He had uh, a whole stack of stuff from the you know late 60s through the 70s. And that's kind of my, where a lot of my Marvel background came from. Uh, you know, Avengers, uh, Master of Kung Fu, Conan, Daredevil, just whatever it was that he had squirreled away, that's what I came up reading. So... Uh, I didn't read a lot of 90s comics in the 90s, uh, mostly like 70s comics. And were they squirreled away in, in decent shape, or were they well-loved, as Peter likes to say? Uh, they're certainly well-loved now. Yeah. Uh, like, condition was like condition was never really a factor. You know, my dad was never a speculator. I'm not a speculator. So I'm not particularly concerned with the condition that these books are in, as long as, you know, you can still read them. Because yeah. ultimately, that's what they're for. You know, they're, they're there to be read, and... If I didn't beat the shit out of these comic books growing up, I surely wouldn't be writing them now, you know. There you go. That's a good way to look at it. All right, good. Anyone strike out as, as being your early favorites? It's hard to say. Cause, I mean, over a period of time, you know, I would read one, one type of book, another type of book, and another type of book. Uh, you know, specifically talking about Marvel, uh, when I was really young, you know, my favorite stuff was like The Avengers and Iron Man because it's – it was like maximum flash and pizzazz for your, you know, bang for your buck. If you're going to pick out one book to read uh, when you're sitting on the couch, you might as well pack as many superheroes as possible. Uh, also, Iron Man's helmet was super easy to draw. You just draw an upside-down U and put, like, some angry slots on it, and then you're set. Isn't it great, though, with the, uh, the 1970s, 1980s run of Iron Man where his mask is so expressive in so many different ways? You can have him look, you know, forlorn just by ever so slightly moving the mask a certain way, angry, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like Mike Mignola was talking about when he came up with Hellboy. He says like, it's the most Mignola character ever because his mouth is just like a post, post box slot. Uh, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world to draw. It must have been the same with Iron Man's helmet, where it's just like, do I have to draw eyes and an expressive face? Like, no, just three slots, and then a range is needed. Were there any particular favorite, you know, artists on uh, Iron Man that you enjoyed? Uh, no, I mean, nothing that... It's just kind of whoever was there, really. Like, uh, it's it was such a, a broad range and a broad selection, I couldn't really pick any particular... Uh, runs or artists because again it was, it was kind of pepper from all over the place so those things were it was rare to have two issues together so you'd often get the first part of the story but then nothing else and so it wasn't until years later that i got like marvel marvel unlimited and i was like you know i should finally see what happened with 
you know, the, the Avengers and the Lion God. Like, wonder how they actually got out of that one. Stuff like that. Yeah, I, and I get that too. And with respect to the to the artist, more so, in my case, as growing up as a reader than than a writer, you know, following along with whomever was regularly drawing a comic, like I think Iron Man, and in and one significant period of time, I think Bob Layton, really nice guy by the way, met him at least a couple of times and and had a bunch of things signed. Things may have changed with respect to if he charges for autographs because I said, well, what do I owe you? He said, I'll take a handshake. And he was just really, really nice. But you, wow. know, you just get used to who you see month after month, and then if it changes up, you're like, okay, let's see what this one's doing, and you just go from there and, and you know, enjoy reading the comic. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the way those comics were collected, is that you know my, uh, my grandmother would send my dad books when he was in school, uh, so it would be kind of a scattershot approach, but in other other cases, he would be following an artist usually, like uh, you know, the Barry Smith Conan run. I've uh, got the, almost the full run of it because that's what he was really into. Or um, you know, the Paul Glacey Master of Kung Fu, uh, Herb Trimpey, uh, Hulk. Uh, so it was just sort of subject to whatever it was that my dad was into, you know, 30 years ago or 40 years ago, many years ago now. Was your dad into Spider-Man at all? Uh, a bit, not a whole ton. Uh, he's, you know, I, I grew up in a few of them. Um, the, the first appearance of Prowler, I've always really enjoyed. That's why we, uh, we made the, the punk Spider-Man as Hobie Brown. So it's, uh, I always thought Hobie Brown was like a really solid dude. And it's kind of funny too, you know, especially because which character did you eventually get your hands on in the uh, Marvel universe? Uh, uh, a lot of them. Like which well, one? Well, specific, specifically Black Cat. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> Black Hat, you know, I didn't have any of her books or the books she appeared in when I was a kid because that was sort of the tail end of my dad's collecting period. But, uh, you know, I had the trading card. I was aware of her as a character growing up. And so many of us, especially during that time frame, that was our education for a lot of these characters. You know, you're not going to really see a uh, Norman Osborn Green Goblin show up in the comics because, well, he's R.I.P.D. He's long dead. But... You'll be able to know about the character through the trading card, and then you know more of the mythos of the character. Yeah, it was wild because you know you would see uh, characters or teams in these trading cards that you have no idea that existed. Because again, most of my most of my comics knowledge was through the '70s, and I'm looking at these trading cards for sure. I was like, what, '92, '93, something like that, '91, yeah. and. You know, you'd see Alpha Flight or like Guardians of the Galaxy or like, you know, two X-Men teams. You're just like, wow, what's, what's really going on here? Who are all these characters? And then if you didn't know the characters, they have like the picture of them and they have the uh, the names of each one. You try to figure out which one was which. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I do love how proud of a Canadian son you are in that the first team you immediately mention is Alpha Flight. Well, it was the first time I ever saw them. And, uh, I've, you know, I've just really come to love Alpha Flight ever since, you know, the 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 team slash book they can just never get a break and it's kind of funny too you know you mentioned all of the teams on the trading cards one of the ones that is on those cards i think it's like series two or something like that but the quote-unquote new fantastic four which consists of spider-man the hulk mm-hmm. ghost rider and wolverine they only teamed up in a three issue storyline but i would imagine that you know yeah those issues happen they're done they're you know in the back issue bins now 
people, fans, young kids collecting these cards, that's how they became familiar with that version of the team after their one and done time, you know? For sure. I mean, that was, it was such a, a broad vector of exposure for such a group of fans that are, you know, in, of, of an adult age now that sometimes perhaps things that were more represented in these cards than the actual books carrying out size importance. And it, it's kind of cool to think about too, you know, some like obscure characters might've even gotten their fan base because of those trading cards, because they're like, Dark Hawk is a, you know, a low key, very popular character in the cult circuit, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. to be able to see how cool his trading card is, I would imagine that was part of why so many people are fans of Dark Hawk. They're just like, that card's pretty cool looking. I'm going to like that guy. I mean, I'm almost certain that's where 90% of Deathlock's uh, popularity comes from. Oof, what, you're you know, not what, wrong. What there is. Yeah. Uh, you know, Deathlock certainly, um, I guess it's not fair to say for Death's Head, but I remember like seeing Death's Head on, the, I think it was the Series 1 cards. I think it was Art Adams was doing them. And I'm just like, shit, man, like that, that dude is the real deal. I don't know who he is or what his deal is, but he looks awesome. And the original Death's Head is such a... Uh interesting character because that character got his start in the transformers in the uk so mm-hmm. it's kind of like is he a marvel character well he was made in a marvel comics so i guess he is well i mean he still he still appears in marvel comics so they must have won that battle yeah uh, it's not like we're talking you know rom space knight or uh, dire raids or anything it is kind of funny. I was just listening to an episode of uh, Cartoonist Kayfabe with Ed Pisker, and he mentions working on X-Men Grand Design, and he goes, can we use the Dire Wraiths in this issue? I don't know. Do they own the rights? So. Yeah, I tried to use a Dire Wraith in the, the Bloodstone story I was doing um, for Bizarre Adventures a couple years ago, and had to... I, like, I'm not sure if they just don't own them anymore, or... What the deal is, man, I had to, had to back off that one because uh, I, I think no one was particularly interested in investigating the legal status of these characters or these creatures for an eight-page uh, anthology story. And that's so, like, just, of- just make it a scroll. Just make it a scroll. I'm like, all right, all right, fine. And again, it's it's cool, you know, hearing some of these names like you just mentioned, Bloodstone, also Bloodstone, where that character is starting to get a lot more notoriety in the Marvel, you know, fan community. As a result, recently the character showed up in the. Uh, Nintendo Switch game Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 plays a major part of the game and you take these characters where they are in there for like you know maybe a small portion of the game but they end up developing you know fans develop a fondness for the characters because of that that worked for Deadpool for crying out loud and you know Ultimate Alliance 1 and 2 and the Marvel versus Capcom games oh yeah absolutely I mean that was that was the year because it wasn't Elsa Bloodstone story it was a Ulysses Bloodstone story I was trying to push Ulysses Bloodstone, a character who had been dead for, I don't know, 30, 40 years. Um, so I had, had him in three issues that year, so I thought that was quite good for a guy who's dead as hell that nobody likes. Have there been characters you've wanted to pull out of the mothballs, theoretically, in Marvel history, but you were told, eh, not now, we're figuring something out later on with that character? Um, let's see. Not really. I mean... Like, I've been told I can't use characters before, but it's usually not, like, the real obscure kind of ass pulls. Um, mostly, like, you know, I pulled out Xander the Merciless for Black Cat 2 and 3, and no one's like, oh, yeah, we've got big plans for Xander coming up, you know? Right. He's a guy guy appeared in, like, Doctor Strange in, like, 1976. Um, whereas, you know, I, for the Black Cat Magicore stuff, I was like, oh, I want to do a thing with Sabretooth. And I'm like, yeah, good luck with that, bud. Uh, <laughs> Because at, at that point, I think Sabretooth was uh, 
you know, scheduled to be memory hold there in Krakoa. So uh, he wasn't even guest starring in anything anytime soon. But yeah, I mean, generally, the, the older, more obscure character is, the, the less anyone's planning to use them, which is why they're so easy to use. Um, whereas the more popular characters, you know, everyone's got to kind of get on the rota and see whose turn it is to use which character in their books. Jed, let me back up a second and, and clarify, if for nobody else but for me, we're talking about more than one Bloodstone character. I need a little bit of background here. Oh, yeah, I was talking about Ulysses Bloodstone. He's also Bloodstone's father. He was the original Bloodstone character from the, uh, the Black and White magazines in the uh, 70s and 80s. Turns out we can squeeze Bloodstone from a Bloodstone. Hey. There hey, oh, hey. By a group of Hooters, it's a Blood from a Stone. Hey, Eddie. Hey, Hooter. Well, I, when I first heard you guys say Bloodstone, I thought of, I think it was the first issue of Marvel Feature in the 70s. That's probably what, you're, probably what you're thinking of then. You know, Lissy's so, Bloodstone, big blonde guy with a stone in his chest. There we go. Yeah, it lasted for the beginning of that run, and then it turned into Guardians of the Galaxy. Wait, isn't that, a, isn't that just a stone protector from, like, you know, Harvey Comics, the little action figures with uh, the... Anyway, that, that joke was awful. Yeah. Sweet. I mean, maybe, maybe Marvel has a clear, uh, clear shot for a lawsuit then, since that came much earlier. Exactly. Just the overall Marvel mythos, there's... It's just so crazy that there are so many characters. Like you can take one character, and there is a distinct possibility if that character catches on, an abandoned character, you might be able to have a success with them in the future. You know, like you look at the the Marvel cosmic related characters, the modern Guardians of the Galaxy lineup. No yeah. one thought Star Lord would be, you know, at least a B list character, and look at him now. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at. I never thought I'd live in a world where Rocket Raccoon was a uh, household name. I still go with Groot as that one for me, too. It's it's so, And again, I always love telling the story, but the fact that Stan Lee did not realize he co-created Groot. He's like, <laughs> why am I in this movie? You, you co-created Groot. No, I didn't. Oh, I did? Oh, damn. Yeah, he was, he was, he was much more vocal, and he came from Planet X at the time, but uh, he was still as a, a walking tree. Just uh, the the other one was a lot more verbose than the one we have now. Yeah, yeah. Jed, can you take us now from comic book reader to attaching your name being attached to these characters that is, or that are Black Cat and Moon Knight? Yeah. Um, so when I was in high school, I you know I've always wanted to write stories and come up with stories, and um, when I was in high school, I was very into uh, indie comics and stuff like that, and especially interested in looking back to like the '80s black and white explosions type stuff. Um, the the concept that anybody could make comics was really interesting to me. Where like you know I grew up in rural maritime Canada and famous people or people who have success in media, specifically comic books, just don't come from there. You know you always think that it's people who live in cities in the U.S. or something that are going to have these opportunities. But when I became aware that people were just kind of doing it, it was something I was really excited about. So I thought I was going to you know write my own comics and draw my own comics. And um, so around the mid 2000s, I was in university, and I was oh, sorry, the early 2000s, I was getting uh, involved in uh, comic artist message boards, uh, you know, bulletin boards, things that uh, sort of the earliest viable form of uh, our social media that was around at the time. Um, and it became pretty apparent that I couldn't draw well enough or fast enough to ever uh, have a go at being a comic artist. But I hooked up with a friend of mine, Sheldon Bella. And we would just like make comics together. I'd write them, you'd draw them, and just kind of put them out there. 
Uh, anyways, uh, I guess it would have been eight, five years later. Um, Sheldon was out there. His art was really good. People were really excited uh, by his work. So Marvel tapped him to do some anthology stuff. And he tapped me to write it for him because he's like, I don't actually know anything about all these superhero characters because we were like scrappy indie guys at the time. And I was like, well, shit, I'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll write a story and then we'll both get paid. It'll be great. So that was, um, we did an eight-page story for X-Men Serve and Protect number four. It was, a, it was a Dazzler and Daughters of the Dragon team up called Disco Highway. And it was a lot of fun. It came out in 2010, uh, or maybe 2011. I wrote it in 2010, at least. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was my first Marvel job, you know, over 10 years ago now. Um, so I was like, oh, this is great. Maybe, you know, I've broken in. I got my foot in the door. I can maybe do more of this than basically heard nothing for, for four years. Mm. And uh, our editor on that uh, issue came back. He's like, hey, we're doing another anthology thing for this thing called Spider-Verse. And um, we want to do this, do a, an eight-page story about the Spider-Punk character we came up with. We don't know anything about him. We don't know who he is. We just want to build up a little backstory for him. So we're like, sure, we did it. That was 2014, I think, that came out. And, you know, it was pretty well received. People seem to like it. Um, you know, there are a lot of new characters coming out of Spider-Verse. You know, Spider-Gwen was a huge hit. Um, so like, well, great, we're getting some traction on this. And, you know, this is going to be our end. We're going we're gonna to break in. We're going to have, have careers as professional comic creators. And um, we didn't hear anything for another four years. So uh, about 16 pages of uh, comics until I finally got the door open with uh, Edge of Spider-Geddon number one. Wrote the, the full, first full issue I wrote. Um, from there, I got into Daughters of the Dragon. Daughters of the Dragon was pretty well received by people, by editors. And Nick, Nick Lowe, the editor, really liked it. So eventually, from there, uh, I got onto Black Cat. And it's funny because there's so much in the Spider-Man continuity, you know, after Dan Slott's run, you know, involving Peter Parker getting put into the body of Otto Octavius and all that good stuff, just oh so confusing. But seeing the relationship between Peter Parker and Black Cat Felicia Hardy, oh so much changed. And as a result, they were no longer friends. They hated each other. Now they're back to being friends again, I believe. And now just oh so much fun is happening. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Spider-Man, right? It can't, uh, nothing can be simple for him. It's true. And, like, you know, as someone who has been able to write these kind of characters, what is the biggest thrill that, you know, you still enjoy to this day of writing these characters? I mean, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty wide sort of question because, I mean, I really just enjoy being there and working with these characters all the time. Like, if I come up with a line I particularly enjoy, I'm you know very I give, gives myself a little chuckle. It, it's just it's just having it at the table. I really enjoy it. Uh, I like seeing my stuff get out there every month and seeing what people think about it. Well, usually what people think about it if they like it. If they don't like it, then you know I'm not particularly interested. Um, it's yeah, it's just it's just being being part of the show. And it's kind. Of, I would imagine you know as someone who's weaving part of the Marvel tapestry of the overall continuity, it must be a, you know, a real kick to see something that you do 
in one of your books get referenced in another title by someone completely different? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is an interesting feeling. It doesn't happen a whole ton because you know my career is my my actual career is not super long time. But uh, you know, anytime Black Cat turns up, I have to see what she, see what she's getting up to in someone else's book and like you know what sort of if they, if she's got her crew with her, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's a lot lot of fun to kind of contribute to the sort of shared universe of uh marvel is black cat somebody who you've of course i would think or imagine just like some characters like daughters of the dragon had to go back to research where this character came from and where you could possibly see her or them going just so you had some some backstory to you know springboard off of yeah um well like when i got the job i didn't i mean i like i said i knew who Felicia was. I knew who the Black Cat was and had a general idea of her history, but you know, it wasn't. I wasn't a, a long time reader or anything like that. Um, Nick basically gave me the job. He said, "We're, you know, we've we patched things up with Black Cat and Spider Man over Nick Spencer's book, um, and we're spinning off a Black Cat book, and I'd like you to do basically what you did with Daughters of the Dragon. You know, I want you know energy and fun and excitement. So basically, at that point, you know, I go and read the last couple of years of most recent appearances you go back to the very beginning and then just sort of pick your way through the character's history looking for things that are interesting looking for things that you can use um like you know currently her her crew uh bruno granger and uh, dr boris corpse they were characters who appeared in the same issue she appeared in like that was her very first crew that she recruited and they only appeared in a couple issues and then just disappeared for however long and like oh this would be great i can bring these guys back got a built-in supporting cast so, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of reading to get up to speed. And then at that point, though, for characters that just, like you said, only appeared at the beginning, um, you know, having that sort of under your belt, now you could probably just do whatever you wanted with them, possibly. Well, I mean, pretty much. Like I said, no one's clamoring to use these characters, you know, Felicia's uh, backup boys. And, like, I could save myself the research by just making up new characters, but I find it sad satisfying and sort of entertaining to you know blow the dust off some old gems and you know see what kind of life they have left in them uh, you know going back and digging up something from the past i think goes a long way towards making the universe feel kind of lived in and, uh, and authentic well authentic is base is kind of a weird word to use for such, something that's you know of such artifice but uh, it establishes this sort of sort of continuity or through line that i think is useful when you're working with superhero stuff now speaking of working with superhero stuff you got moon knight congratulations by the way oh thank you yeah i was very i was very pleased to to land that one I wasn't i was in uh i was in, I was in competition but they're kind of shopping around seeing what ideas people had for uh for a moon knight book so i was quite pleased that mine was the, the one they went for are you actually putting him on the moon this time is it finally happening it's it's he's on the moon solely at night. That's fair. That's beautiful. Jed McKay lands on the moon night. To the moon, yes. <laughs> cool. Now, in regards to the character, first off, what drew the character of Moon Knight to you? Um, he's. I find it really interesting how many different faces we see of Moon Knight throughout his history. Oh, that's good. He's a character I that, like that yes, faces. I know. Very good. Oh, very very good. <laughs> Sorry. But 
is is a character that you know most people when they work with them often have wildly different takes on and that's something i find really interesting because not only is there a lot of different stuff to draw in the in his past but it's also sort of freeing knowing that there is room for whatever interpret well not whatever but you know whatever interpretation you want to put on within reason because he's you know his character is always reinventing himself um and also, he's a character that's a mess. Like, his life is just completely falling apart. Uh, not once, but constantly. And I think that's a lot of fun to work with in a character. I, I'm going to throw another phase thing out there, too. Because, you know, four personalities, four phases of the moon, I'm thinking maybe some future bad characters could be could be Blood Moon or could be Harvest Moon or something like that. I, you know, just, just throwing it out there. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll keep it in mind. Dunk him in an orange. He's blue moon. Hey, you know, just delicious. Why? Why not? <laughs> but in regards to the character of Moon Knight, there's just over the past few years, the demand of the character and the obsession so many people, myself included, have with the character. It's wild to see Moon Knight go from a D level character. Again, he's not quite A list yet. We haven't seen the Disney Plus show, mm-hmm. but. He's getting up there, and I want to say he will be up there with the, in the big leagues in the very, very, very near future. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, in the same way that you know, you see a lot of the the characters they put on the TV shows, be it the Netflix shows, the Disney Plus shows, gain a you know much higher profile. This really seems to be the case for Moon Knight. And it's always interesting to me in that you know Moon Knight can't seem to keep a series kicking around for. Like it just—it just seems there's huge gaps of time in between Moon Knight series, but he's also a character that literally everybody wants to work on. Um, you know, any any writer I talk to, I'm like, oh yeah, I got Moon Knight. Like, shit, I really wanted that one. And it's funny because uh, there's any, so many artists I talk to, they're like, oh, I really wish I was drawing the Moon Knight book. Um, so yeah, it's it's funny for a character who's everyone's kind of champing at the bit to to work on him. Uh, you have such spans of time between his appearances. And it's kind of wild, too, because you have, you know, so many iconic runs. But, of course, you have to go back to the, you know, the uh, the very base of Moon Knight, the Doug Munch, Bill Sienkiewicz run, which mm-hmm. is iconic. You know, I, I'll always see people go on the Internet saying, recommend me the best Moon Knight, and you'll hear the 2006 run. You'll hear the 2000, I think, 14 or 15 run. But it mm-hmm. always annoys me when I, you know, f- you know, fanboys will go, uh, you can go with the older stuff, but it's it's an old comic. You don't want to read that. No, you want to read that because you have the experimentation with Sienkiewicz's art. You have the noir of Doug Munch writing it. Just amazing stuff. And to hear yeah. fans dismiss it because it's older is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you know, people are going to like what they're going to like. But, yeah. Uh, it's, it's certainly something that deserves a closer look than I think a lot of people give it. Because it's there's so much they're they're trying to figure out with this character. Because I mean, basically no one knew what his deal was. You know, he appeared in Werewolf by Night as just some goofball, and uh, then they're like, okay, we're gonna make an actual character out of this guy. And just sort of seeing the avenues they take him down, they try to figure out, you know, what's this guy gonna be like? Is he just gonna be like Batman, or is he gonna be like the Shadow, or you know, how are we how are we running this dude? And it's it's really interesting to see those steps being taken as they you know, build up speed. 
I hope one day he can make a visit to Transylvania. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Transylvania, Transylvania is empty at this point in time. Dracula lives in Chernobyl. Boy, he really is trying to find any way to not have to get Moon Knight his money. Boy, he really... <laughs> but... I mean, have you seen him recently? He's not looking great. Well, you know, I haven't seen him in a good enough light. Yeah. Wow, Eddie rolled his eyes for that one. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That was... Okay, fine. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. That's okay. But one of the things about the character as well, you know, you mentioned so many great artists that, you know, want to be able to experience it, but... The ones that have been on the title have knocked it out of the park. You know, you have uh, Declan uh, Shavely, Shavely, that that there we go. Completely different than what I said. <laughs> but um, you also have Stephen Platt, who, again, knocked it out of the park on his time and became one of the hottest comic artists in the world because of his run on Moon Knight. Which, oh yeah, I mean the uh, the cover for number one, uh, McNiven's doing a full Stephen Platt there. Oh yeah. And it's it's kind of funny because you look at this character that, again, there are so many people that, you know, they dismiss him as well. And it's one of the most annoying uh, complaints about the character by non-fans. And I think you might know where I'm going with this. He's just Marvel's Batman. No, he's not. Shut up. He is um, not Marvel's Batman. I mean, I, I write Black Cat, so uh, it's not something I'm unfamiliar with. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, and, you know, I think what makes Moon Knight most interesting is how different he is from someone like Batman, where, you know, Marvel doesn't really have a Batman, and that's fine, because they don't really need him, you know, they've got, they have different bases covered, and I think Moon Knight covers a a very different set of bases than you would get from, uh, from Batman. And just the idea of Moon Knight with these split personalities, that is the biggest thing about the character that can be explored in so many different ways. It pun intended, it's multifaceted. Sure. And one of the things I find interesting about it is that everyone is often quite ready to reduce Moon Knight to be like, oh, he's a superhero and also he has mental illness, which means that he's, you know, quote unquote crazy. But most of his problems in his life generally don't stem from his his uh, you know, dissociative identity disorder, um, that can be perhaps maybe broadly interpreted how you want to figure how Kanshu figures into it. But with him have you know most recently in Avengers been made very explicitly an extra dimensional god figure, you know, that's that's where his problems come from. You know, it's not like Jake Lockley's out there causing trouble for Moon Knight to deal with or like, you know, Stephen Grant's fucking his life up. It's, you know, Mark Spector and his relationship to whatever it is you want to see Khonshu as. Now, with this series, Jed, and I did see on a recent Marvel preview on the cover and did read quickly about the uh, concept or what's what's to happen, and I got myself intrigued. I said, oh, here I go. I, I'm doing my best not to be too much of a new comic collector, but I, I have certain ones, and this is going to have to be on that list. This is Hell yeah. set up to be, uh, well, a monthly, but, but is it set for... Um, an indefinite, or or how many issues do you know it's set for to be? Uh, well, it's an ongoing book, so uh, you know, as comic book people, you know as well as I do, that can mean five issues, could mean ten issues, could mean thirty issues. You know, um, I'm hoping, but there there's no there's no hard ending at any point yet. I hope you can beat Spawn. Just you know, 
I mean, I, I feel like that's probably within our capabilities. I think so, too. But now, well, I, now I just want to see a Spawn Moon Knight crossover. <laughs> <laughs> Can Kanshu defeat Malbolgia? We don't know. Stay tuned, true believers. <laughs> I mean, Kanshu couldn't defeat, defeat the Avengers, so, uh, well, I guess he did. But they kind of oh, man, that. That, that run... Like Jason knocked that out of the park. That was one of those moments where that book, first off, our local comic shop, Main Street Comics in Middletown, New York, that book sold out instantaneously. So, oh wow! This is this is why when I'm hearing Moon Knight is coming back, I know the 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 hype train is surrounding it, and it is help it is helping carry it towards the future. And I'm excited to see what this could lead to, especially your run because. So much you do realize, like, let's say, hypothetically speaking, something you do in this series may very well get referenced in Moon Knight season two, or even depending on production, season one. You never know. Uh, I mean, I imagine Moon Knight season one is probably pretty much in the can at this point in time. But uh, yeah, it is. It is kind of funny to think that the stuff I'm working on is going to be created contemporaneously with, uh, you know, a larger property. Um, like you just, you certainly don't get that with black cat, uh, like, you know, we did taskmaster, but that was when, you know, the movie was done. It was just meant to come out at the same time as the movie did, which obviously didn't shake out. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's always something I'm kind of, kind of curious if, uh, any influence will be drawn from there. Now, I don't know if you're at liberty to say anything or not yet, but have you been told, you know, like mandated, like, Hey, do this, this, and this because in relation to the Disney plus series or... Nothing yet. No. no, nothing like that. I mean, there were some sort of dictums coming down from editorial when they said, you know, we're looking to do a new Moon Knight series. Um, there's a few things that is that we kind of want to move in a certain direction. A few things we kind of want to move out of, just because in the past we found this hasn't really worked well in a Moon Knight series, or this is something we're interested in exploring in a Moon Knight series. So, but beyond that, no, it's just those kind of. You know, go out there, start out with some more one-shot procedural kind of uh, issues, and then you know build up to a story and see what we got. Now, as someone working on a title, I imagine you're going through the Moon Knight archives, looking up as much content as possible. You know, to maybe like find influence or just you know find a way to reference something from the past. Are you going through, like, for example, the uh, Max Bemis run? Shout out to Max Bemis, friend of the show. Or, you know, the, the uh, 2014, 2015 era, stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I've been going through all of it pretty much. I'm trying to get a handle on, you know, what's come before, uh, what, what the continuity is. Because, again, he's been around for a long time, and there's been a lot of issues. And- so trying to, figure, trying to keep everything straight and making sure I know where he is at the point in time that uh, he's coming into our story is you know it's important so yeah i've read you know all the modern stuff i've read i think i've read almost all of it at this point now isn't it wild uh, though that the, the uh, 1990s mark specter moon knight run is it's you can get it in a local comic shop still not available in trade format N- almost none of it is available on marvel unlimited or comiXology yeah yeah and thankfully there's very uh sort of comprehensive wikis uh, I use the Marvel fandom wiki a lot. It's really helpful to kind of give you a, a broad overview of what's going on. What about your trading card um, binders? Uh, less less useful uh, <laughs> as it might as it might turn out. But how will you know? You know the power level that it's a seven. Uh, there's nothing I hate in that. Shit. Yeah, it's 
I mean, people get so, people get so wound up with this like, how did this person win this fight uh, against this character? It's like a wizard it's did. Not, it. Well, no, it's just like it's on the card. Check it. Yeah, like it's not it's it's not rock paper scissors, yeah. you know. Like well, unless it's you know the thing to you know fighting uh, Flatman. Yeah, sure, but I mean, you you look at professional sports. Really highly ranked teams lose to lower ranked teams all the time. It's just it's the way it is. You know, upsets happen, and uh, but yeah, I don't know. I've when I was writing Taskmaster, people were coming at me uh, about stuff like that, like, oh, how did you, how why didn't he win this fight, or how could he lose this fight? I was like, this is a comic book. You, know, you got to tell a story. Real quick, Eddie, did I say the thing or the rock? Because I feel like I said the rock. No thing. Oh, thank God, because I was going to edit that out. Anyway. One of the other things also with this series, I imagine, you know, you're going to be getting the one of the issues probably, at least the first issue, will probably get a variant cover by the great Bill Sienkiewicz. And, you know, that's a character Bill is synonymous with alongside the New Mutants. So the possibility, I don't know if it's been solicited yet or if it's been announced, but the possibility of that happening is very real. And it, I would imagine that's kind of cool to realize that might happen. Yeah, it does. Is he doing one? I don't remember. I've kind of lost track of the... Um, Eddie, to the previews. The variant covers. But it, it certainly makes sense. I mean, he did a, uh, a black cat cover that was spectacular a little while back. And again, it's just... It's it's funny, by the way, seeing how greatly celebrated Bill is getting in the you know the past few years, especially. When, you know, comic conventions were a thing. We went to New York Comic Con and... In the main area where, like, you know, they had, like, all of a sudden, here's a person dressed up as a Transformer to help promote Chevrolet. They had a section where it was, like, a gallery of Alex Ross's work. And then if you turn ever so slightly in that same gallery, there was an entire section devoted to Bill. And it's kind of cool to see Bill is getting that recognition, that respect, not just in the comic community, but in terms of pop culture in general. Because his stuff is... Absolutely, I get to use my one f bomb an episode. Fucking gorgeous. So, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he's got go the with that um, poop crazy. Eh. <laughs> the hidden. He's got the hidden uh, cover for number one, the hidden gem variant, whatever that means. See, <laughs> so you got a Sinkevich uh, variant for you know. Yeah. It it's absolutely crazy. Did you get a Scotty Young baby cover? Uh, I don't think so. Oh. Uh, I think. Uh, Moon Knight might be a little grimy for a uh, Scotty Young cover, but we'll yeah, I see, mean, I guess. I mean, he did Baby Old Man Logan. Yeah, that's true. Which doesn't that's even true. make sense. No. That just, just cancels out. It's just Logan at that point. I love when he did that variant cover and it says, this doesn't even make sense. You're jumping the shark, Scotty Young. <laughs> <laughs> see, again, I love when comics can be self-referential like that. Like, I imagine, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to break the fourth wall with a character like a Moon Knight but I do love when there are the subtle references to stuff like that, you know, done through a line that, you know, doesn't make sense in their world, but could make 100% sense on our end. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Scott, Scott is good at that, too. That's, uh, that's very much his thing. Jed, with these issues that we're looking forward to with the new run of Moon Knight, I, mm-hmm. I imagine you have to be so much ahead with, with the amount of material to, to be ready for. Are you allowed to kind of give us an idea of how much, well, how much time, at least for the first one, and then how much more material you have. Oh, well, I could I could do the next seven issues. I don't know if you can even say anything vague like that. Uh, I mean, I can give you the, the kind of the outlines there. I, just, I finished issue five last week, um, so I'll get my outlines together for six to ten. 
so uh yeah that's where we're at you know art's done you know issue one's pretty much ready to go to print uh art's done for two get into three i've got up to five written so yeah we're we're chugging away we're uh certainly on schedule uh perhaps uh, ahead of schedule in a lot of cases so no it's going well well ahead is definitely very good than uh, cramming for uh the deadline no absolutely (laughs) and in regards to black cat how is that coming along that's great. Yeah, we um, you know had a bit of a hiccup with the old COVID shutdown thing, but uh, we started back up again. With number new number one started in on King and Black, and now we're just basically tying up the story we've been building up since uh, the first issue out in 2019. When you so mentioned, that's come, oh, uh, I say that's uh, you know coming out this week at part two of three, and then the last issue of this sort of mega arc will be coming out next month. And you know, you mentioned everything with the uh, with COVID affecting the uh, comic lines. It's wild that you know. At one point, I remember the release schedule for like a number of months was so bizarre. Like Al Ewing's uh, Immortal Hulk was coming out every other month. It turned into a bi monthly book, like you know the old school X Men books. Mm-hmm. And then, like certain titles just fell on you know fell into the cracks. Like Steve Orlando's uh, Ravencroft book, I believe. That was supposed to be happening. That you know just disappeared. Um, Daniel Kibble Smith's new mute or new warriors that you know dissipated as well. And then another one, another love interest of Peter Parker, the disappearance of the Gwen Stacy comic, which you know I think it did two issues, and then we don't know what's going to happen. And I'm very glad to see that you know Black Cat was a Black Cat had again her good luck. She was able to get out unscathed. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's uh, I was quite quite pleased with that because you know it was it was a tough time when comics shut down and a lot of books just ended, and uh, you know I'm thankful for my editors who were just you know punching behind the scenes trying to keep the book going. So I yeah, was very lucky there, and then you know Infinite Destinies that was supposed to be out last summer is now getting solicited out, so it's coming out this summer. So it's uh, it's been a year of big adjustments as far as comic. You know, shipping, creating, scheduling goes, but you know we're getting we're getting back and back to, on the right pace. So now, before we put a bow on this episode, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Uh, I can be found. I mean, most most uh, reliable way to find me is on Twitter. It's twitter.com/slash Jed McKay, J E D M A C K A Y. Um, I have an Instagram. I do not use it. Um, and uh, I will not respond to you for any request on Facebook. So, yeah, Twitter, Twitter is where it's at. Thank you for your time. Congratulations and good luck. We look forward to reading your stuff. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm always happy to uh, chat about comic books. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Jed McKay. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! <laughs>